Lord, we have rest and a future. And Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every person within the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray in particular for the person who finds themselves in a less than safe place, in a problem place, in an insecure place, in a dark place. Lord, I pray that the Good Shepherd would come and comfort and lead and guide and direct. Fill their hearts with hope. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but enters up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. In John chapter 9, you'll remember that the man who was born blind and healed has been cast out of the synagogue. And the expulsion of the healed man sets the stage for chapter 10 in what has been called the parable of the shepherd and his sheep. And John will begin the chapter with an illustration in verses 1 through 6. And then the chapter will continue with an explanation in verses 7 through 21. And then the chapter will end with an application in verses 22 through 42. The allegory is meant to illustrate the tender, loving relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. The former blind man has been cast out of the fold of Israel. But in that casting out of the fold of Israel, Jesus wants to gather him in his arms. And one of the most familiar images of Jesus in the New Testament is that image of the Good Shepherd. Many of you grew up with that that image. You see Jesus with with um, carrying the lamb on his shoulders and his arms. And in the background of this narrative, there is the Jewish fold. And now Jesus will speak of himself as the door of the shepherd, or the door, if you will, of the sheep and of the sheep fold. And the story revolves around the fact that sheep fear robbers or predators. They follow the true shepherd. They flee from the unfamiliar voice of the, of the stranger. Now, in our culture, in our society, we flock towards the familiar. We gather around the person who we come to trust. As a matter of fact, in our culture, we have a term. We call it the person in a position of trust. The term is a legal term. 
And it may refer to a person in an organization. The person in a position of trust can be your attorney. It can be the person who has the power of attorney. It can be a person who has the custodial powers over a child. Any regulated profession dealing with the health and safety of others usually requires certification and licensing. In our culture and society, that would be considered a person in a position of trust. The same is true in the hierarchy of relationships, in education, in government, in employment, in clergy, in financial matters. We cringe when we hear about crimes committed against the most innocent and the most vulnerable. In the past several weeks, there's been a rash of shootings. In that rash of shootings, it has resulted in the death of at least one child who's two years old, another child four years old. We're grieved and we're outraged when we hear stories of neglect and abuse against the most innocent and the most vulnerable. But that charge becomes magnified when it's committed by a person in a position of trust or authority. This week I read one of the most horrendous stories. It comes from the Seattle Times. And it was written by Mark, Mike Carter and Sonia Krishman and Christine Claridge. It tells of a little girl in this place called Carnation in Washington. It, they write, quote, For Rebecca Long it was a power struggle intended to rein in an unruly stepdaughter. She'd lock the teenager in her bedroom and deny her food and water, according to court documents, to teach her a lesson. For the girl, it was a nightmarish struggle to survive on toast and a half a cup, a Dixie cup of water a day. Desperate to slack her thirst, the girl reportedly told detectives she would sometimes suck condensation from the windows or sneak a drink from the toilet. That is, until she got caught. And then she said she was forced to sleep on the floor in her stepmom's room, a heavy dresser blocking the door. When they found her, she weighed 48 pounds. Once, the girl told detectives, her stepmother duct-taped her hands behind her and dunked her head in the toilet. The rest of the time, according to detectives, the child was locked in a room behind double deadbolts, her floor and clothing sprinkled with rodent droppings, and every bite of her meager meals an agony because her teeth were rotting out of her mouth. When you're abused, when you're ignored, when you're neglected, when you're hurt, you will find yourself doing things that are unimaginable. You will find yourself seeking to fill the thirst 
and the hunger in the most reprehensible of circumstances. The religious leaders in the day of Jesus were involved in their own kind of power struggle. They abused their position of authority. They abused their position of trust. And many of the religious leaders ruled Israel not with compassion, but with condemnation. They defrauded the people with their wicked, selfish practices, fleecing the flock rather than feeding the flock. They heaped burdens on the people, rituals and practices that God never required. They abused their trust and they used fear and intimidation to coerce cooperation. And you'll remember, instead of rejoicing in the marvelous work of God, and instead of rejoicing in the healing of the man born blind, they attempted to slam the door of salvation in his face. But God had other plans. Jesus is the good shepherd. And with vigilance, with fearless courage, with patient love for the flock, he will guide them and guard them and protect them and provide for them. Jesus is the true door that opens to heaven. If ever there was a place where you were meant to be safe, it's in your home, isn't it? And if ever there was a place where you were meant to be safe, it's supposed to be in your church. This isn't supposed to be a place of abuse and neglect. It's supposed to be a place of support and encouragement and love and growth. And so, Jesus begins with a description of, of the sheepfold. Look in, again in verse 1. Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Remember, once again, Jesus begins the story with the now familiar phrase that we've seen over and over again in John's Gospel. Truly, truly, verily, verily, most assuredly. Remember, if it means anything at all, it means what I'm about to tell you is absolutely true. That's what Jesus is saying. It's an idiomatic expression. It means, please pay close attention because what I have to say to you is so important. And it's true. He says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and, and a robber. Now, remember, the sheepfold is quite simply... The place where the sheep are kept. In the Middle East, the sheepfold was a very simple structure. As a matter of fact, even today, when you go to the Middle East, you'll see that a sheepfold will be made up against the side of a mountain or up against the side of a cliff or even the side of a cave. If it's not that way, it's usually a, a mound of stones. They will make a wall of stones some nine or ten feet high. And then in that circle of stones, they'll have an orifice or an opening. And... The shepherds would lead their flocks behind the stone wall at night for protection against predators. And then they would post a porter or a, or, or a guard. It would typically be one of the shepherds at the door. 
And the shepherd would then literally become the door. The distance between the spaces would be slightly less than the shepherd. And the shepherd would place himself next to the door. The picture being you can't enter and you can't exit without literally stepping over the body of the shepherd. Dr. Roy Lauren, who is a a very close friend of Billy Graham, wrote, A door is both an opening and an obstacle. An opening to the desiring and the believing. An obstacle to the undesirable. The way for those outside to get inside is by the door. And Jesus is that door. So right away, we're given a picture. The picture, of course, are things on the inside and things on the outside. Leon Morris writes, what is apparently in mind in John chapter 10 is a large fold where several flocks find shelter. One doorkeeper can thus look after a large number of sheep. When the shepherd comes in, he calls the sheep who know his voice. The eastern shepherd often has an individual call for each sheep. The sheep know their shepherd. They recognize the call he gives them. More, they respond to it. And in this way, he leads them out. When he's put all of his sheep out of the fold, the shepherd leads them in their destination by walking before them. This is a very different picture from that of driving the sheep, unquote. In other words, you probably are familiar if you've grown up in the Colorado um, farmland or the, 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 the Colorado land where there are sheep and, and, um, and cattle. Or if you've seen pictures in Australia, they'll typically drive the sheep. But in, in Israel, that wasn't true in the first century. Most sheep herders in our day, they raised sheep for nourishment. For meat, But in the Middle East, they raised the sheep to harvest the wool. And so it wasn't unusual for a shepherd to form a relationship with the sheep over a long period of time. And so the sheep fold, the place where the sheep are kept, becomes a type and a picture for us. It is the place where you are accepted by God. This is the place of security. This is the place of safety in the presence of God. The sheepfold is the position of salvation, the place of spiritual sight, the place where the believer enters in and receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so the picture that the Bible is trying to create is, isn't a place where you go where it's a horrifying place. Some of you grew up in religious circumstances where you hated going to church. It wasn't a good place. It was a terrifying place. And that was never meant to be. The place of church is supposed to be the place where you feel safe and secure, loved by the Lord. And again, it's the place of acceptance because you come to God in Christ. So in a very real sense, the sheepfold is symbolized as the place where sheep are kept. And that can be in a church or in heaven or in salvation or in eternal life or in the kingdom of God. 
And because the story is an allegory, it's a kind of an extended metaphor, the point of the allegory is the contrast, not just with the danger on the outside, but the safety on the inside. It's an allegory about a true shepherd and a false shepherd. But you know what both shepherds have in common? They both go after the sheep. The false shepherd are those who oppose Christ. The false shepherd are the subtle and the wicked people who either go after the flock or they pretend to be Christ and they are in fact antichrists. These are false teachers who blindly oppose the claims of Jesus, who oppose Jesus as the light, who oppose Jesus in this world. You may have grown up in a circumstance where you believed that it didn't really matter what you believed. Just so long as you believed something. And you believed it sincerely. You may have grown up in a circumstance where you thought, it doesn't really matter. I mean, whatever religion you have, I just hope that it makes you happy. But the reality is that religion was never meant to make you happy. Religion was meant to save you, to redeem you, to reconcile you back to God. And that's why Jesus over and over again reminds you about his identity and his mission. A lot of people take umbrage with me. They get upset with me when I remind them that it was Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I didn't make up Christianity. And I didn't make up the message of Jesus. It is here that Jesus says that he is the door. And he contrasts the true shepherd with the false shepherd. He gives us a description of the deceitful shepherd. Look at the end of verse 1. Who is the deceitful shepherd but climbs up some other way? The same as a thief and a robber. You'll note that the sheepfold has the door. It can be penetrated. The point of the passage that the allegory is making is that there's only one acceptable entrance. There's an acceptable entrance and there's an unacceptable entrance. And the acceptable entrance is the one that God has ordained in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus points out that some climb some other way. It's all one word in the original language. In the Greek language, alakothane. Some other way. The deceitful shepherd, the false shepherd wants to gain access or entrance some other way. And remember, all of the Bible becomes a type and a picture of coming to God. And everyone comes to God on one of two ways. On their own terms or on God's terms. That's, all, that's the way it has always been. Some of you are upset that, that Cain and Abel came to God two different ways. One brought a sacrifice. One bought, brought vegetables. And you'll remember the story how when Cain brought his offering, it was unacceptable. And his countenance fell and the Lord spoke to him. And he said, why is your countenance fallen? Don't you understand that sin is at the door and it's crouching? It's desirous for you. You may have grown up in a circumstance where you want to, to come to God on your own terms. 
You want to come to God by going to church. You want to come to God by religious rituals. You want to come to God by prayers and candles. You want to come to God by being a good person. But Jesus makes it abundantly clear. There is only one way. The false shepherd comes from a different direction, the opposite direction, another road, another path. The false shepherd is willing to jump the fence in order to get at the sheep. The false shepherd is willing to disguise his voice and disguise his message and disregard the Bible's revelation. And that's why the false shepherd will do one of two things. He'll either invite you to reject the Bible altogether or to read it in such a way that it makes sense to you and it allows you to continue to live the life that you want to live. And so Jesus uses two terms to describe the pretender, to describe the wolf in sheep's clothing, the fraud. He calls them a thief and he calls them a robber. It's interesting in the original language, you're going to know the word for thief. Kleptis. Those of you who have grown in a decidedly psychological circumstance, you've heard that expression. Kleptomaniac. What is a kleptomaniac? It's a person who allegedly has an uncontrollable urge to steal. That's a perfect description of a false teacher and false religion. False teachers and false religions have an uncontrollable urge to rip you off, to steal from you. And a robber, Lestis. And I don't think it's any accident that those two words, thief and robber, are used to describe one of Jesus' disciples, Judas. Judas. The betrayer. The false shepherd is a thief. And you know what a thief is. A thief is a person who steals by stealth. Who manipulate. Who use deceit. Who are willing to employ fraud in order to capture and defraud their victim. The robber, however, is the person who's willing to use violence in order to accomplish the goal. And make no mistake about it, it's a very, very short step from thievery to robber. False religions and false religious leaders steal joy, rob peace, assault assurance, strong-arm salvation. False religions pilfer praise and misappropriate the Bible's mission. False religions burglarize belief. They plunder prophecy. False religions and false religious leaders spoil the soul and devastate and ransack and loot and gut and fleece and swindle and victimize and defraud and cheat the saint. I don't know how to say it any clearer. And so when you turn on the television and you watch so-called Christian TV, trust me, they're not looking at you. They're looking at a camera. 
And many of them will look right into the camera and they'll ask you to give up and they'll ask you to sacrifice and they'll ask you to give. Here's what they don't want. They don't want you. They don't care about you. They don't care about your heart and they don't care about your soul and they don't care about your family and they don't care about your future. When a person sees you as an instrument, as a commodity, as something to be consumed, then you know you're dealing with a false shepherd. And by the way, the Bible has a lot to say about false shepherds. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, Jesus said, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Their point? To lie to you and deceive you. For what purpose? To get something from you. And the Bible speaks of false gospels, false doctrines, false miracles, false gods, false Christ, false spirits, false prophets, false apostles, false teachers. And you have to wonder, why do you suppose there's such an emphasis in the Bible? Because sheep are vulnerable. And you know who are the most vulnerable of all? Do you know who wants the drink of water so desperately? It's the person who's been starved. Who is the person that wants hope? It's the person who's hurt. Who is the person who wants light? It's the person who's filled with darkness. And so the person who is the most hurt, the most empty, the most vulnerable, the most susceptible become the prey for the false shepherd. Do you know what the main source for Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are? It isn't the unbeliever. It's the Baptist. It's the Presbyterian. It's the cultural Christian who have grown up in a church, who have a, who have a religious sensibility. That's who the false shepherd preys on. The Bible is filled with warnings for those who would distort the message of Christ and deny Jesus. There are warnings about people who cause division and and dissension by teaching doctrines directly opposed to what Christians know to be true in Romans chapter 16 and 17 and, and in Titus chapter 3 verses 10 and 11. There are warnings about people who can claim to love God, but they really hate God's people in four 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, and in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, there are warnings against people who deliberately break away from the church on the basis of distorted or perverted or twisted teaching. That's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. There are warnings against people who take away the words of the prophecy of Scripture, Revelation 22, 18. There are warnings about people who add to the Scripture. There are warnings about people who take Liberty with the scripture by twisting and distorting its clear meaning in Second Peter chapter three, verse sixteen. And so the Bible warns about heresies, about revelation. Revelation concerning the person of God and, and the mission of God and the message of Jesus and the cross of Calvary, and that you're saved by grace through faith. And by the way, If anyone, if anyone ever comes into this pulpit 
and stands behind this podium and tells you that you need something, you need Jesus plus their book, their gimmick, their church, their message. You know that that person's a liar. There are people who come and go. They'll come into the church and they'll leave the church. But the Bible makes it abundantly clear. You're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. Lest any person should boast, you are saved by Jesus alone. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the forgiver of your soul. Jesus is the person who loves you. Jesus is the person who knows you. Jesus is the person who has sacrificed for you. Jesus is the person who shed his blood and died for your sins. It is Jesus, the true and living Jesus, who rose from the dead and who ever lives and who makes intercession session for you. And you know what Jesus wants from you? Your love. Your friendship. Your fellowship. That's what he wants from you. Jesus isn't going to love you more or love you less if you give more or if you give less. I know it's a child's song, but it's still true. Jesus loves me, this I know. You know the rest. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Remember the second verse? Jesus loves me when I'm good. When I do the things I should. Jesus loves me when I'm bad. Though it makes it very sad. There are those who will try to manipulate you. And hurt you. And starve you spiritually so that you wither down to nothing and your teeth begin to rot in your head because of all of the sugar you've consumed. You need to understand something. If your only source of spiritual sustenance is coming to this church on Sunday morning, you're hurting already, you're in danger already. It's very important that you open up your Bible every day. It's so very important that you walk with the shepherd every day. It's so important that you walk with him and love him every day. No wonder the Old Testament pictures God as a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom. And there's warnings for the false shepherd in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1. The Lord says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. And then in Jeremiah 23, 2, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You've scattered my flock. You drove them away. You haven't attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil you have done, says the Lord. The warning isn't for you. The warning's for me. And people like me. For the person who would look at you and abuse you. The person who would look at you and take advantage of you. The person who would see you as a person in the sea, as a a source of income that gives to the church, that promulgates the machine. But it is you. 
if you're an under-shepherd. It is you. If God has given you the care and the custody of a husband or a wife or children, if God has given you the care or the custody of men and women who have been entrusted to you, God has called you to love them and live for them and pray for them and serve them. And the false shepherd has God's promise of judgment. It's supposed to scare you. James wrote, do not be many teachers among you, knowing that you will incur the greater judgment and accountability. Do you realize God holds me accountable and responsible for each and every one of you? There was a man who had a conversation with Charles Haddon Spurgeon in his time. Spurgeon's church was one of the largest. It was... perhaps the largest in the country. His was arguably the first mega church. He had between five and 6,000 people, and a pastor came to him, and he said, what do I have to do to get a church like yours? He goes, how many people are in your church? He said, 200. He goes, that seems quiet enough to be held accountable for on the day of judgment. The shepherd is not a deceitful shepherd, but a dependable shepherd. Look at verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus makes the point that the true shepherd is the one who uses the acceptable entrance. The idea being Jesus has the proper messianic credentials. Jesus comes according to God's plan, not his own. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God's shepherd, God's Messiah, born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised Messiah to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jesus is the promised Messiah who is the son of David who would come from Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 4. Remember the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus were all predicted in the Old Testament. Remember... Not only that, but in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it said that the Messiah would come in the fullness of time and that the true shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep. And so every other shepherd, every other pretender, has to have the Messianic credentials. And I want you to know a few things about the dependable shepherd. He is true. He knows where the door is. He knows the way into the sheepfold. The true shepherd uses the true door. You want to know why? There's no reason for him to sneak you over the wall or break down the wall. This true shepherd isn't interested in stealing the sheep or fleecing the flock or starting his own flock. The shepherd cares about the sheep. And so in verse 3, Jesus says, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Do you know why the doorkeeper opens the door to the true shepherd? Because remember, the doorkeeper knows the true shepherd. The doorkeeper is in partnership with the shepherd. And in this particular instance, who do you suppose the doorkeeper is? The doorkeeper is the Holy Spirit. 
No one comes to the Father unless they're drawn by the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit's ministry to reprove and rebuke. It is the Holy Spirit's ministry to point the sinner to the true shepherd, Jesus Christ. That's why the false shepherd is never recognized by the Holy Spirit. They're always called a fraud, a phony. The Holy Spirit, as God, is the one who opens the door into the sheepfold. The one who comes to the door is known by the doorkeeper or porter. The shepherd isn't afraid to face the door or the porter because the true shepherd is both anointed, appointed, and approved to use the door. And the true shepherd has the right to enter the door. And the true shepherd knows you. You know, when you have a church this size, it's almost impossible for me to know everyone's name. I have a friend who used to try and pull a trick on the people in his church. When a new person came to the church, he would always introduce himself as that person. So the person would say, hey, I'm Joe. And the pastor would go, I'm Joe too. That way, if he forgot their name, he would just go, who am I? Yeah, it doesn't work. It's an ineffective way to get to know people. But Jesus always remembers your name. He never forgets it. Do you realize that in the New Testament there's an interesting passage of Scripture in the book of Revelation that Jesus not only knows your name, but He is giving you a new name, one known only to Him. And to you, kind of a, a pet name. It, it's a name of affection. And so it says, the true shepherd calls his own sheep by name. The shepherd knows them. And this is said to be a fact, by the way, among shepherds and their sheep in the time of the first century. This was said to be a truism. In other words, the shepherd entered into a friendship and a relationship of such intimate circumstances that there was an actual intimate bond. The shepherd actually knew the identity of each sheep individually, even in large herds. Certainly that's not true today. But it is true of Jesus. Other people may forget you, but Jesus will never forget you. And then in verse 4, look what it says. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. In other words, I want to draw your attention to that expression in that passage where it says, and when he brings out his own sheep, I want you to just sort of in parentheses, look at his own sheep. And the original language is powerful. It says, Ta, idia, panta. It literally means each and every one, all his own. In other words, Jesus isn't like cool with sharing you. You're His. Holy. Completely. And I want you to know Jesus brings the sheep out, not all at once. Not in large groups. 
He doesn't say, okay, everyone in the women's ministry stand. Everyone in the men's ministry stand. Everyone in the student ministry stand. Everyone in the young adult ministry stand. He doesn't collectively take you out and then herd you out the door, but he calls each one by name, personally, individually, specifically. And we know he's the good shepherd. Actually, it's given away to us in verse 14, where he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And am known of mine. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, where he says, But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Do you love God? Really? Do you love the Lord? Do you love him? Then you're known by him. If you love Him and you know Him, you are known by Him. And in verse 5 it says, Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. That's the contrast. Follows the familiar. Flees from the unfamiliar. The sheep know the shepherd's voice, the sound of the voice. And again, the implication is that there is a certain recognition. The shepherd's voice is clear, not unclear. The shepherd's voice is certain, not uncertain. The shepherd's voice is strong, not frail. The shepherd doesn't stutter or stammer, but he speaks with a loud and a clear voice. And the loud and the clear voice is full of tenderness, full of care, Full of warning, full of safety, full of truth, full of security. Do you remember growing up and you would hear a certain person's voice and there was a, there was a sense of calmness and security that would flood over you when you heard this person's voice? For some of you, it may have been your mother or your father or your grandma or your grandpa. It may have been a coach or a teacher. And even to this day, when you hear that voice, there's a certain peace that comes over your heart because you know that this person would never harm you and never hurt you and is always looking out for you. I have a voice like that. You know, when I was growing up, I would listen to Pastor Chuck's sermon tapes when I was in high school. We would get up in the morning and we would listen to his voice. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. And when I heard that voice, you know what it was like? It was like Thanksgiving and Christmas. It was sitting around the family table. It was the smell of fresh bread. Have you noticed that fresh bread always is good? Like it's never bad. It's like with butter and you just put the butter over the bread and you stick it in your mouth. and It's so stinking good. I know, it's getting really close to let you guys go. That's the voice. It's the familiar voice. I read the story of a man in Australia who was arrested and charged with stealing a sheep. And he claimed emphatically that it was one of his own and it had been missing for days. And when the case went to court, the judge was puzzled, not knowing how to decide the matter. And at last, he asked that the sheep be brought into the courtroom. 
And then he ordered the plaintiff, that's the person who claims he lost the sheep, to step outside and call the animal. And the sheep made no response except to raise its head and look confused and frightened. And then the judge instructed the defendant, that's the person accused of stealing the sheep, to go to the courtyard and call to the sheep. And when the accused man began to make that distinctive call, the sheep bounded towards the door. And it was obvious that he recognized the familiar voice of his master. The judge just simply said, Sheep knows him. Case dismissed. I like that. The shepherd restores the sheep. And he knows him. Even when they go astray. Even when they leave the safety of the flock. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, it says, For you were like sheep going astray. But now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Some of you have may have gone through a time of confusion and disorientation. You've gotten away from the shepherd and his voice. But now is the time to return. You're starving. You're thirsty. You're empty. And you know that Jesus fills and satisfies. Shepherds lead. Shepherds feed. Shepherds guide. Shepherds guard. Shepherds call. But Jesus does more. He lays down his life for the sheep. Let's just be real here for a second. If you were a shepherd and it was your job to take care of a flock. Would you seriously give your life for a sheep? I know I wouldn't. There's no sheep on the planet Earth that's worth my life. There's no flock of sheep worth my life. There's no sheep worth my son's life. There's no sheep worth my granddaughter's life. If you took a sheep and you took my granddaughter and you asked me to pick, I'm going to pick her every time. not me and not you are any one of us worth the precious life of Jesus the perfect and pure life of Jesus but Jesus does the remarkable the impossible he loves you so much he dies for you and so we follow him and we ignore the voices that call out to us, the voices that claim to be good for us, the voices that come from the voices of false religion, the voices of untested and untrue claims from false science, false philosophy, false psychology, false humanism, the poison of materialism, the poison of worldliness, the promises that claim to be promises when in fact they're not. You listen to the voices on your TV set. You deserve a break today. You deserve to indulge yourself. You deserve to have a new car. You deserve to have a new home. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be this. You deserve to be that. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves listening to voices that have nothing to do with the true shepherd. 
And it says in verse 6, Jesus used this illustration. But they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. In verse 6 in the Old King James, it says, This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spoke to them. The word parable, by the way, means something that's laid next to something else where you contrast and compare the two things. The word parable is used some 50 times in the Greek New Testament. And all but two times in in the book of Hebrews, but the word parable never occurs in John's Gospel. It's the Greek word paromia. It's translated proverb in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. It's used here and in John chapter 16, verse 25. And so at the end, when it says, Jesus used this illustration, it means a dark saying. It means something hidden, something obscure, something that requires interpretation. And for many of you, when you open up the Bible and you hear the words of Jesus, it makes no sense to you. It's almost so much words. And you can't see Jesus and you don't see the true shepherd. And the reason is because the Bible says that the natural man, the carnal man, can't understand the things of the spirit because they're spiritually discerned. It's talked about in Acts chapter 28, verse 27, where the writer says, For the hearts of these people are hardened, their ears cannot hear, their eyes are closed, they cannot see, their hearts cannot understand, they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah. For some reason, your ears are blocked and your eyes are blind. There were two men who were called into a large classroom to recite the 23rd Psalm. And one was a published orator, and he was trained in voice and drama. He had one of those, you know, made-for-TV movie voices. And he said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Surely goodness and comfort shall follow me all the days of my life. They loved it. They cheered. They clapped. They asked for an encore. And then another man came. He was much older. And he repeated the same words. but different. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And everyone listening understood that this was a man who knew what he was talking about. They sat in silence and in a deep and a somber mood a 
full of devotion and prayer. And when he was done, the first man, the orator, stood to his feet and he said, I have a confession to make. The difference between what you just heard from my old friend and what you heard from me is this. I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. You know the psalm. But do you know the shepherd? You know the story. But do you know the storyteller? And have you become a part of the story? You know But have you come to the place where you've accepted the one who was willing to risk his life and then gave his life to seek and to save that one lost lamb? Jesus is the lamb that was slain. Jesus is the shepherd who guides you to a place of safety. You know the Bible, but do you know its author? You know the story, but have you become a part of the story? Let's stand. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for the shepherd. Lord, many of us have come to know his voice and follow it. Lord, we know it is the voice of Jesus. The voice that asks us and points us to the Father. The voice that speaks of your great love and your great mercy. The voice that reminds us of the great story. A story of love and a story of redemption, a story of hope and the story about the future. And Lord, I know that there are people who are listening to my voice and they've heard the psalm so many times. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. They know the words, but they don't know the shepherd. Lord, I pray that that's exactly what they would do now that they would cry out to you and they would say in their heart that's what I want I, I need a safe place a secure place instead of a dark and an empty place I need a place where I can both love and be loved by you and Heavenly Father I pray for that person who finds themselves in a situation where they need to know you and they don't Lord I pray that they would cry out to you even now To hear the words, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each and every one of us have turned to their own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And they realize that their iniquity, their sin, their failure has been laid on Jesus and it's fully available to be forgiven and hope given. And if that's you and you need to have hope and you don't have hope, just slip up your hand and I'll pray for you right now. 
what you know. The truth about yourself and the truth about what's inside of you. Jesus has come to bring you to a safe place, a secure place, a healthy place, a place where you can eat right and drink every day. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, I thank you for these men and women for being so patient. Lord, I pray that that the story would sink deep inside of their soul. And if they forget everything else, they'll remember this. That in Jesus, there's a safe place. A secure place. A protected place. Amen.